Okay, well, I'm very uh, excited to be starting a new, serv a new series today. And uh, some of you uh, who are regular attenders will know that in the summer, we did a series called In His Image, where we were looking at various forms of stewardship, of how we, how we you know, live up to this high calling, how we take our place in the, the family business. And as that series drew to a close, I, I said, do you know, I feel like I've missed something out. And, and that something is, is, is about stewarding the environment. And of course, we hear quite a lot about that, that these days, but we don't hear a great deal from the church. Uh, and I really began to feel that uh, rather than sort of tacking one, one little talk on the end of it, I needed to uh, do some research and some study and some prayer myself because I felt I, I wasn't quite clear why I thought what I did at that time. And so I've done quite a lot of reading over the summer. I've been to one or two conferences. We've discussed it as a staff quite a lot. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of, my ears have always picked up when there's been stuff in the news. So I've done quite a lot of thought. And finally, we come to this point where we're about to launch this new series, Planet Wise. And uh, I, I hope that during this, uh, we will not just find a few more things to do, you know, recycle or whatever it is, and that's great. Uh, but we'll also, uh, perhaps in some ways more importantly, we will see how theologically, how biblically, you know, the, we, we should respond to this issue. You know, what are, the, what are the core issues and what does the scripture say about this? And, you know, there is some divergence and some, some thought. And so I'm going to start with, with just more the, the uh, biblical uh, story and a little theology this week and next week. And then uh, on the back of that, we'll start moving out to more uh, practical things. But I just want to get the thinking right and then see where that takes us, okay? So here we go then, uh, planet-wise. And I want to start, in, and it's always the best place to start with Jesus. All things begin and end. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. So we're going to begin with Christ the creator and uh, start with, with, our, with our meditating on him, thinking about him, and just seeing what the scripture has to say about him and his role in all of that. So if you've got a, a Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter one. If you haven't got a Bible and would like one, uh, not another one, but if you haven't got one, then please ask at the welcome desk. We'd be happy to give you one. And uh, of course, turn up on your smart devices if that's what you're using. But Colossians chapter one, beginning at verse 15. Now this is a royal passage. This is a favorite passage of mine. Uh, Colossians has lots of links with Ephesians and you know, the teachings uh, complement one another. Uh, but I don't think I've ever used it in this context. In fact, this is a bit of a new thing for me, sort of speaking about the, the environment and, and God's relationship with creation and our part in all of that. So let's look at it uh, because it's very rich on that topic. Colossians chapter one, beginning at verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, over the next, you know, three or four weeks, you know, we're going to look at a number of things, but let's begin with this central thought that Christ the Creator is King. Christ the Creator is thing. And in this passage, uh, and as per our topic, we can draw out three crucial and fundamental thoughts which should act as a lens as we view other material over the next few weeks. The first thing we want to say about this is that uh, Jesus is the source of all creation, verse 16. I don't think too many people will disagree with that. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, we're not talking about the science. We're not talking about, you know, was it seven days or seven millennia or not at all or whatever. We're talking about Jesus is the source of all things and the creator of all things. He spoke the word and creation came into being. And, and so we find that for in him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And uh, so we start with Jesus as being the source of all creation, verse 16. And the other thing I want to just sort of uh, draw out of this is that actually all things are created for him. You know, we tend to think, I think, mistakenly, that cre the crea you know, creation was made for us in the sense that uh, it's for us to use as we see fit. And more, you know, to be honest with you, use and abuse is probably the right sort of uh, interpretation on that. But, but actually all things have been made for the glory of God. Creation is there for the glory of God. You know, there is something about creation that uh, I find very moving, and I know many of you do too. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I am yet, uh, you know, a, an environmentalist or... Uh, I have no great knowledge about the birds, the bees, and all this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, but I do ha and have always found myself moved by creation. I can remember as a boy being on holiday in, in Cornwall, in, you know, age eight or nine. My uncle had a house down then, lived down then. He used to take me long walks, me, he and my sister, down the country lanes, deserted country lanes, where you know, one car would come along every 30 minutes. Now you're sort of dodging for your life, you know. But uh, you know, one car would come down very infrequently. And we spent the whole time you know, pick, picking, picking blackberries and eating them. And, uh, and then we, he'd point, us, point out slow worms and butterflies, and he knew all the names and plants and herbs and stuff like this. And uh, it, 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 or it, what it served to do was more than providing information, it instilled in me a great wonder. So Flissie and I now live in a village in, on the very edge of Buckinghamshire. We come down, we go over the downs by Whipsnade, we drive down that bank there, and time and again, you know, there isn't a journey almost that doesn't go by where Fliss and I just say, what, just look at that, isn't that beautiful, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, the sunsets, the skies, you know, it may be a buzzard just hovering on an uplift. These natural things um, stir me. And many of you, I think, you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, but many of you find the natural order of things stirring. You know, maybe it's, you know, on holiday and you get a chance to look out over the sea or look out at some wonderful plane or some, you know, it, it, there's something about it that just connects 
It's, you know, it, it's a spiritual thing, and it instills wonder in us. And that's because creation has been made for the glory of God. And we are there, and as we're in that place, and as we live and move and have our being and walk through creation, we find God speaks to us through it. And so there is something deep and profound and, and very elemental about the whole thing. The second thing that we can say from this passage of Scripture, verse 17, if, if Christ is the source of creation, you know, he's the foundation and creator of it all, verse 17 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So it wasn't, it wasn't that he just set the whole thing running, you know, the deist position in theology is where you know God created everything like he's a master watch clockmaker and he makes this beautiful jeweled watch, winds it up and then he sets it off and he disappears. You know, he's not that God, he is God with us, he is Emmanuel and he sustains creation, he sustains it by his word and his will. And so everything that moves and has it being including ourselves is sustained by God's good will. You know, and, and, and that comes through very strongly in Scripture that, that God undergirds us. And this season, in this chapter, he undergirds the godly and the ungodly. It says the, the rain falls upon both the righteous and the wicked alike. You know, there will, become a, there will come a sorting out. And a, but, but the truth of the matter, in this age, this stage, then, you know, God undergirds all of this. Because why? Because he is love. You know, and creation has been made as an expression of love. Its wonder, its beauty, its complexity, its interconnectedness is simply an expression of his greatness and his love. And so when we start tinkering with it and messing it around, that's why things start going pear-shaped because you know, we either damage one thing or fix another thing and something over there goes wrong. It, you know, he's able to hold the whole thing together. And so the second point I just want you to really note and undergird these, these talks is that God is the sustainer. He is committed to sustaining creation. Now that might be, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Because when we get into this and start considering some of the things, you know, there may be moments when you're tempted to feel just the futility of it all. In fact, if you look at the news feeds these days, I mean, it's not a day goes past without you just think, oh my giddy on. There was a little program I just didn't even know was coming. I just stumbled across it uh, on, um, the, during the week on the TV called uh, Plastic Voyage. Did anybody see that? Just of interest. You, you'll be able to watch it on Catch Up and... And it's just, a, it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually quite positive, but the, the, the fundamental science is depressing in the sense that they're even finding, you know, plastic uh, remnants, you know, you know microplastics uh, and stuff in the gut of, of krill, you know, plankton and stuff now. This, pl this plastic has got into our, f is, is, if it's in krill, that means it's in our food chain because they're the little mini things. So if you find it in the gut of them, well, then you know that everything that feeds on that and up through the sort of, the, you know, the, the, the natural order, the pecking order of, of, of predators, you know, you, mean, you know that the plastic's there, and which is why, you know, there's such ghastly stories. We are, incidentally, and uh, we're looking at showing over the next two or three weeks a, a movie. It'll be a free thing, donation thing, called Plastic Ocean, which is quite a famous film. It's only been out for a couple of years. I saw it, I think, in the summer, and... 
And we're looking if we can, to see if we can get a copy of that and show that. But that gives you the same thing, but from a sort of a, an ocean-wide thing, you know. Uh, but anyway, that's in parenthesis. That's to come. You know, there's going to be one or two practical things that you can do and help with, and, and, and you know, we'll help you with that. But at the moment, we're just looking at the underlying theology. What, we, what are we basing our... Our, our, our actions on, what's the thought behind it? So, yep, yeah, secondly then, God sustains creation, and I, that encourages me because I feel overwhelmed. I think, what can I do? But as a son of God, and you as a son or a daughter of God, it's good to know that if God is gonna finish something, he finishes it. You know, God starts and he finishes. He is the author and perfecter. So if God says he's going to do something, he will. So if he's going to sort of bring this thing to fruition, well then, great. The third thing, and I think for me, this, start, this I found the most intriguing because it was not where I was at earlier on in the year. And that's, it says in verse 20, he says, and through him, through Jesus, he's going to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What he's saying there is that the salvation that Jesus brings, and of course, you know, many, if not all of you, will know that what Jesus is taught, what, what Paul is referring to, is that before Jesus, we were we were lost. We were enemies of God. We were separate from God because our sin had, provide, had just built this great chasm or wall, whatever imagery you like, between us and God. And what Jesus did by dying on the cross, he took upon himself, no less, our sin. He died for us. He died the death that we should all you know, have died. And he invites us now. He invites us to allow him to substitute himself for us so that we might have the life that is his and know Jesus. Now that is, that is the heart of the gospel, the simple gospel, that God loves us and he has saved us through his son. Now I always knew, and I've always been driven because of the, the evangelist in me to, to, to make Christ known. That's a very core value with us. We are about making Christ known. But I don't think I'd really understood until this last few months that actually God is about redeeming his creation. Salvation is about his creation. Next week I'm gonna be looking at some more of the theology and, the, and, and I will explain the position uh, uh, you know, uh, I was in, which was basically God was gonna burn it all up and chuck it away and then start again. Uh, I'm not in that place now. I've come to realize that just as he's not gonna burn me up and chuck me away and make a really super duper Chris Lane, um, He's, not, he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna do the same thing with creation. God is about redeeming. It's, he's all about redeeming. He loves taking busted up things and making them brand new. And that's what he's about in creation. So we see in this passage then, amongst all the other wonderful things we could spend time considering, that is Jesus is the source, he is the sustainer, and he is the savior of creation. And I think one of the things that I need to come to terms with, and I hope that you will too, is, is that I need to realize, we need to realize that the earth is not merely the stage upon which our, our, our redemptive story takes place. It's, it's actually an integral part of that story. 
Jesus says, I make all things brand new. Not just Chris Lane and his cronies. I make all things brand new. And there's tremendous celebration. So that's sort of a little bit of a biblical background to it. So this is undoubtedly, whether it's good news to you, uh, it's good news for creation, or it should be. So why is the church so, well, not leading the charge on this, why is the church so back-footed on that? You know, it's patchy. There are many organizations. Um, you know, the Church of England, for example, has an environment, environmental policy statement. You know, there's many organizations involved in this. In fact, funnily enough, uh, you may or may not live in St. Albans, but St. Albans actually, as a city, has a very good environmental sort of a group and a lot of organizations working together. It's, it's actually a great place to be if, uh, as you begin to get interested with this. And that leads me on to my next point, really. I think one of the, in, to answer my own question, why isn't the church sort of you know, forging ahead in this? It's because it's not a grassroots movement. You see, the way the church functions in, in, Jesus, in Jesus' eyes is that it, we are in it together Bit of a cliche, isn't it? But we're in this together, and actually, things only really happen when it starts happening at the grassroots. I mean, during the coffee break, I had a gentleman come up to me and say, uh, are you aware of what Christian Aid is doing? I am aware of what Christian Aid is doing, and I'm aware of what Tear Fund is doing, and I'm aware of what a lot of organizations are doing. But these are all parachurch organizations. It's as if we think, oh, this is an issue, you know, justice or trafficking or something is an issue. Therefore, let's get a, let's get a, you know, let, let, let's have a, 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 a research party and let's, let's have a board over there and let's have somebody over there uh, in, uh, and they can meet and they can discuss this and they can look at it and they can advise the church. This is great. This is good. But the truth of the matter, we've, we've too many of these parachurch organizations who are on the, out, on the fringes of our, our everyday life. What really needs to happen is for, for change to come from the very grassroots, and we as communities need to adopt these things. Otherwise, it's all too easy to say, oh, thank goodness that we've got Azalea in Luton looking after the, you know, looking after the, uh, the, the, the women there, the, what? the prostitutes and stuff like that. You know, we, we've got to get engaged. And that's, I think, one of the things I'm realizing, that the church is quite good at sort of palming things off that it doesn't want to think about. Uh, but actually, what God wants to do is he wants his church to model the kingdom, the church of Jesus Christ, the local church. And so, you know, as an example, many of you know is that when we were wanting to build our vineyard care center, you know, there was property around that would have been much cheaper you know, we could have had our vineyard care center down Selbarns Lane and all sorts of places. And someone would have said, yeah, great idea. But, but we wanted to have it here because we don't want it to be out of sight and out of mind. Oh, yeah, you know, what does vineyard? Yeah, oh, yeah, vineyard's good. Yeah, we do, uh, you know, care for the, for the poor and poverty and deal with justice. And it happens on the other side of town. It happens here. The vineyard care center happens here as in covering an increasing number of interests. So, so the church of Jesus Christ really needs to start, in my opinion, doing better at its theology and understanding what the Bible says so that we may better able engage with the issues that we're facing. 
Now, the first problem with this, and there's going to be three things I'm going to just highlight now before we wind up. The three things I see in myself and I see in the church, uh, uh, you know, generally, is the first thing is suspicion. Environmental issues have, have really attracted a lot of weird and wacky people. There are, some, there are a lot more great people, but the ones that tend to get the press are the weird and wacky people. So we, we find you know, it's become a center for a lot of new age activity. You know? And Christians are very suspicious about new age. And, you know, and certainly if you start talking to environmentalists, you'll find you know, there's earth worshipers and there's pagans and there's tree huggers and there's sun worshipers and there's Gaia worshipers, you know, Mother Earth. You know, it's a pretty, pretty diverse group. But as well as that, there's an extraordinary number of Christians who are engaging with this. And they're becoming increasingly uh, connected and they're doing good thinking and good theology. And, and I hope that we're going to think well about this. But I realize that in myself, I don't want to hang out with tree huggers, thank you very much. I just don't want to do that. And so it's, it, it's one of those things that we have to be careful about because there's something within us that kind of you know, we don't want to become fanatical. We don't want to sort of, you know, start, you know, doing something crazy. You know, there, there's that kind of, it's part English, it's part me, it's part us, it's that kind of thing. But the first thing then is, there's a sort of suspicion about this thing, you know. Why are we getting involved in that? You know, shouldn't we be worrying about souls and stuff like that? Well, yes, of course. Or shouldn't we be worrying about the poor? Well, yes, of course. But this is the whole gospel. Not bits of it, the bits we like and not the bits we don't like. We, we've got to do it by the book, if you don't mind me using that term. And so if my father is passionate about something, as we've, as we, we've sung so many times, I want to, to fall into line with his thinking. I want my heart to beat with his rhythm, you know? So the second thing then, if the first thing is a sort of an innate suspicion about these kind of things, is an apathy. And I don't mean that necessarily in a derogatory sense. There is a sense that when you start looking at this stuff, and I've obviously looked at quite a lot of it this, this summer, it is overwhelming. You know, you just think, well, what the heck can I do? You know, you know the more you look at it, the more alarming it becomes, to be frank. The state of our... our you know, environment, the state of the oceans, the state of the air, although, you know, I don't know whether you noticed or read, but the, the ozone, the hole in the ozone over the Antarctic is, is actually closing up now, so the, thank goodness for that, you know. But, but you, the more you look at it, you know, you think, what can I do? You know, seriously, what can I do? So the apathy may not be born out of carelessness, it may simply be born out of being overwhelmed. Well, I, you know, I'm just one in seven billion. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that, quite frankly, you know, if, one, if a lot of one in seven billion people, that being the population of the earth or thereabouts, start saying, I'm going to do something differently, that's one in, a billion, one in seven billion better than just another person that doesn't care and consumes and, and uses up. So, you know, I, I think we have to encourage one another and we have to look for ways that we can, you know, make good choices in the way we, you know, consume. And, and you know, the whole, the whole consu you know, consumer history is, is a post-Second World War thing. You know, before the Second World War, for hundreds of years, society had been 
you know, given to reusing. You, 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 as, an, as an economic necessity, you reuse stuff. You had things repaired. If a shoe, you know, as a kid, my shoes went to the cobblers to be repaired. You know, now I just go out and buy another pair of shoes, you know? And, and so stuff goes to the landfill site. So it's very recent, you know, this kind of trend to consume. But uh, consequently, you know, businesses realized if I can get you to buy thing, something, you know, twice a year instead of once every five years, we're going to make more money. And so the whole, since the Second World War in the last century, the whole way business is done and the whole way industry is done has changed. So we, we consume more. Stuff isn't made to last. Well, we can say something about that. We can begin to make choices and we can begin to lobby people and we can, you know, and, so, and, and this is already happening out there. It's just that the church isn't particularly well involved in it. So the second thing is apathy. As I say, not necessarily in a malicious way, but simply a sense of, what can I do about it? The truth is we can do a lot and we need to. The church is probably one of the biggest, well, it is the biggest social organization worldwide. You know? Two billion people, two of that seven, two billion people claim to be Christians. I, you know, make of that what you will. But if we all start seeing this as part of what it is to be a Christian, well, then we can make a huge difference. Huge difference. So the second thing then is this apathy. And then the third thing is ignorance. And again, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Uh, I, I mean two things by it. I mean one maybe that we simply don't know. We, we, we haven't looked into it. Nobody's taught us about it. You know, we've not heard any talks or sermons about it or been, read any books about it because it hadn't occurred to us before now. We just don't know. It's a, you, know, if you, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. But the, I think the other thing is that as even conservative evangelical Christians, and let me just define that because some of you will know what I mean by that, but others will not. We, we believe, we're the kind of Christians that, that believe the Bible. I mean, I'm, obviously I'm teaching from it. And uh, we have what is would be regarded as a conservative interpretation of that. Um, and for us, of course, it may be a conservative approach to the scriptures, but at the same time, we like to communicate it in a contemporary way, which is why we have this kind of a building as opposed to another kind of a building. But we're more than that. We are what we would call empowered evangelicals. So as well as having a fairly conservative in way of interpreting the scriptures in the vineyard, we are empowered evangelicals in that we have grown to love, learn, and appreciate a great deal from the Pentecostal wing of the church. So we have taken on things like baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, gifts of the Spirit, you know, speaking in tongues, you know, being, uh, being uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to, 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 do, to, to go in his power and make Jesus known. So we are empowered evangelicals. Now that, that's a bit about what we're about. However, my point this is this. Conservative evangelicalism has typically understood that the world is going to be thrown away. It's like a disposable tissue. The creation is going to be like a, dis a disposable a tissue. Now, I'm going to teach into this more next week and try and dissect that a bit and help us to get the understanding, but this is just the overview. We have tended to think that Jesus is coming again, which he is, it's in the book, and when he comes again, this lot will be rolled up, rolled up, burned, chucked away, and it'll be, ta-ra, here's the new one, move in. 
And so if you hold that view, of course, that affects the way you behave. That affects the way you respond to and care for creation, environment. You know, why do you think there's so much, you know, the great bastion of conservative evangelical Christianity is North America, the US to be precise. And uh, the Christian, you know, the conservative evangelicals, by and large, were really one of the swing points for, you know, Donald Trump, the president. They, they got behind him and they backed him and they helped get him in. So now we have American policy, home policy, saying uh, we're withdrawing from the Paris Agreement on, on climate change. We don't believe in climate change. Uh, we, we uh, you know, it, the, the, create, you know the, the environment really isn't something we should worry about. Let's open all our coal mines again because coal is king. Uh, we're going to start doing all that. You see, that, is re- that reflects a mentality that says the resources of this earth are to be used for the betterment of, of mankind. Mankind or womankind. But what scripture, as what we've seen in this thing, actually it holds a different view. What it, what it begins, and what I hope I will convince you of, or the Holy Spirit will convince you of, most of the, point, of the point, is that actually, although we have a unique position in the creative order of things, actually, Christ himself is, about, is gonna redeem creation. It's not gonna be thrown away. Yeah, the bad stuff is gonna be burnt up and dealt with, but actually, Jesus is all about saving. It's what he does, not chucking away. He doesn't chuck away human beings because they're not the way he wants them to be. He, he implores them, he reaches out to them, commends the gospel to them, the, 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 the Holy Spirit reaches out. You may be here for your very first time, you may have just come along because, and I've often said this because you thought it was a wine warehouse, but actually the truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit brought you here, you're, you're not here by accident. And so God reaches out in this age, in this age, God is all about reaching out because he wants to save that which was broken. Not toss it away and go out and buy a new pair of shoes, as it were. Oh, Chris, is, Chris Lane, he's such a mess, and he still keeps messing up. I'll toss him away. Let's have a new version of Chris Lane, please. Bish Bash Bosh has a brand new one. But the evangelical, the conservative evangelical churches like us have generally understood that God's going to burn it all up, and ta-da, there's going to be a brand new one. I don't think that's what the scripture says. We'll look at that next week. So here we have then suspicion, apathy, and ignorance, all kind of meaning that we're dragging behind when it comes to environmental issues. And actually we see it in the scriptures. Perhaps you'd like to turn with me. Sorry, I've jumped out about a bit on my, my AV text. But, but in Romans chapter 8, um, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Let's look at that. Uh, It says here, Paul writing to the Ephesians says this, uh, Romans rather. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
19. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that, you know, just as, you know, he's just been sharing the wonderful gospel for you and I, but he's saying it's not just us. You know, just as we see death at work in us until we find ourselves saved and in Christ, creation itself, the very context that we're in, creation itself, not of its own will, not because it did anything wrong, but it has found itself subject to decay and frustration. Which is why creation itself, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't mean to sort of suggest that creation is an entity, you know, but, but it's why creation itself is longing for Christ to come again. Because he know, it knows <laughs> that when Christ comes again, it will be saved. I love that image, you know, it's standing on tiptoes and straining. When is God going to come? Uh, it wouldn't be wanting and looking forward to that if it knew it was going to be burnt up as a crisp and sort of thrown away. But it, 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 there's something deep in the, the in creative understanding that, that God is going to redeem it. And I, and I love also this imagery of childbirth. You know, those of you who've had the privilege of bearing children, um, you know, mainly women, I think, um, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, having had four children myself, uh, not that I carried them, but you know what I mean. Um, the truth of the matter is there's the joy of conception of finding that you're pregnant. Uh, and then, you know, it begins to bite and you start, you know, and the woman begins to start noticing changes and initially may be greeted with joy, but after a while you look in the mirror and you're beginning to think, oh gosh, I look so, look so fat or whatever it is, you know, and, and then you start getting uncomfortable and you need to keep dashing to the loo and all these kind of things that go on with pregnancy. It becomes, there's joy, but there's apprehension there. And there's, oh my gosh, you know, and it, there is great joy, but at the same time, it's costing you. It's definitely costing you. And then, of course, it comes to the time when you, when you, you, you go into labor. And, you know, I, just speaking for Felicia myself, uh, you know, uh, Felicia was in labor for... 36 hours to bring forth that lovely woman who was singing there. And, and it was no joke. It was, it was fraught and it was dangerous and it was scary and, and it was painful and it, it was messy and it was difficult. But then finally, after it was all over and after the shock had subsided and after you'd had a bit of sleep and... Finally, there comes that moment where you're holding that baby and you've just fed it and it's changed and it's there and it's mewling. That's a lovely old English word, mewling away. And, and you, you think, oh God, this is amazing. And the joy begins to come, along with sleepless nights, you know. Well, creation's like that. You know, uh, something is being, the new thing is being birthed here. And it's not doing away with the old thing but it is costing dear. And so we see the earth going through, as Jesus said it would, 
birth pains, as it were, earthquakes and famine and typhoons and hurricanes and you name it, you know. The earth is, is cracking up in front of us. And it's, it's part of God's redemptive process. So I love the imagery there. But again, I want you to recognize that it's, uh, and as I said, I will be looking at this again next week, but it's, a, it's not about God throwing the old away. It's about actually redeeming the new. And so the, over the next few weeks, I want to explore, if that's the case, if that's God's plan, how do we come in line with God and work with him as a community and individually to see uh, this new age, small n, small a, of his redemptive purposes come to pass. Finishing off then, finishing off, uh, I want to see what, what Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah 55. And often, curiously enough, it's the Old Testament that, that seems to speak more about God's purposes in creation. But I love this imagery, and I'm, I hope you will too. God speaks to his people, but it's also in the con- and speaks of the joy of God's people. But it's also in the context of a creation that is full of joy too. And we see it in Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That's what's going to happen. We're all of those who've been held captive by addictions, by broken relationship, by unforgiveness. You know, as you turn to Christ, we will be brought out. We will be brought out of the light. We will go forth out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign. Not a temporary one, but an everlasting sign. That will endure forever. This new creation, whether all of creation is rejoicing in the goodness and the glory of God, will rejoice forever and know peace and prosperity. And everyone said, Amen. Why don't we stand and have the band come up and just lead us in our final song. Let me pray.